covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us as we are finally able to talk about baseball being played as we record this on Sunday nights and the Brewers they played their first Cactus League game on Sunday afternoon. They were scheduled to play the first game on Saturday, but that game was weathered out. So instead, they play on Sunday. They lose to the Padres by a 7-2 score. You don't take much away from results of games, really, through all of spring training. But certainly, this early on, it's about guys just getting out there and kind of doing their thing, getting loose, getting the kinks out, all that sort of stuff. But good to have baseball being played. Uh, good to see some of the new names involved in uh, that game as well. Brent Anderson got the start. Josh Lindblom pitched. Eric Lauer pitched. So uh, all the way around, just good to be back talking about baseball. We're going to talk about baseball throughout the course of the next hour or so here on Brewers Extra Names, the podcast. Let's do our normal housekeeping items here at the top of the show. A special hello and welcome in to the folks who are listening on 540 ESPN as part of Doug Russell's Pod Center. If you don't know what you're listening to, this is actually a podcast that you can find uh, wherever you listen to your podcast, also at WTMJ.com. If you want to get in contact with me, find me on Twitter at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. And if you listen via Apple Podcast and want to subscribe and leave a ranking and review and all that sort of stuff, that would be a good thing. The big news from the past week was the signing of Brock Holt. And it's another guy who just kind of fits on this roster, can play a lot of positions. Uh, Brad Ford, by the way, is going to be our featured guest. I normally say that at the uh, at the beginning of the podcast. I should mention that Brad Ford's going to uh, be here. I'm getting way too comfortable with Brad. I'll, I'll give you. A, I've already recorded the uh, conversation with him. I almost don't let him plug like Brew Crew Ball stuff and Milwaukee Tailgate podcast stuff at the end. Like I just was going to end the call. Like we were just talking on the phone, and uh, just now I didn't like give the normal plug that I should give at the top of the podcast for our featured guests. So clearly I'm getting too comfortable for uh for brad i'm getting a little loose in the corner there with uh with him so i gotta i gotta tighten that back up i guess but uh brad's gonna be with us in just mere moments moments i say he is going to be uh, with us but uh brock holt uh signs a deal with the brewers it is a one-year deal includes a club option for the second year that's pretty much what they're doing on everybody uh that they've signed it's uh it's very clearly that these are gambles, and if the gambles work, well, you know what? They're going to hold on to the guys for another year. If they don't work, uh, they're essentially one-year deals. They pay a little bit of a buyout, and they're able to uh, to get out from uh, from under those deals. But that's what these things are. Holt's a good fit for the team, and that's, the, that's kind of, again, this is what we're really going to get into with Brad. Uh, and the more and more, the closer and closer we get to the start of the season, the more and more I feel like the, the question we're really going to get answered this year is do the sum of the parts always equal the end equation or the end result of the, the answer to the equation is what I'm trying to say. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of pieces on this team that seem to fit onto the team, but then all of a sudden when you start saying, well, this guy's going to play at third and he might get a he might get 90 starts at third base, and he—I don't know how many home runs he's going to hit. Like, and we could be—who are we talking about? We could be talking about Eric Sogard. We could be talking about Jed Jerko. We could be talking about 
Brock Holt, if, if all of a sudden he's somebody who's really swinging a while, like whoever it is, they don't fit this standard, okay, this is what a third baseman looks like. And what the Brewers do is, you don't really, you know, from a from a defensive standpoint, there's a lot of times where they don't look like third baseman because they're playing over somewhere between first and second base. So really the big question this year, and it kind of goes against conventional baseball, and it's going to be absolutely fascinating to watch how it plays out. And if you are somebody out there who's got a very negative view towards uh, what the Brewers chose to do in the offseason and the way they've put together this roster, I think the one thing I would ask of you is, have an open mind. Like I don't know what's going to happen. There's a lot of gambles that have to pay off. And I know under David Stearns, it seems like when they have gambled on guys, more often than not, not always, more often than not, those gambles have paid off, but they've never gambled in the way that they're gambling this offseason, it feels like. So there's conventional baseball people out there that say your third baseman needs to be a 30-home run, 100-RBI guy. Guess what? The Brewers' third baseman or the, the their total production from third base probably not going to be thirty home runs and a hundred RBIs. But when the sum of the parts, you put it in a pot. If it comes out and it turns to be out to be a pretty good team, I would hope people would have an open mind about what was done. And there's going to be this inclination to say, "Well, you know what? If if they just would have signed one more guy, uh, think what this team would look like. If they would have gone and got." Josh Donaldson, if they would have found a way to bring back Yasmani Grandolf, they would have brought back Mike Moustakis. Think what this team would look like. There's going to be people who say that, and and I understand where people are coming from. Or this thing just doesn't work at all, and you say those things because the team's not winning enough games. And if, if I'm asking you to have an open mind about what the Brewers might look like, I need to have an open mind, true, too, about if it doesn't work out. I think it's going to work out. I don't know how successful it's going to be, but I, I would expect that this team is going to be right there in contention for a playoff spot when the season comes to an end. And I think if they need to make a move uh, at some point in the season to shore up a certain spot, uh, they'll be able to do so. That's kind of my expectations for the team this year. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and I'll, I'll openly admit that as we go along. Um, but it's going to be it, – it's such an exper- – it feels like an experiment. It feels like this – we're going to take guys – and we feel like when we put all 26 guys together, and of course it's going to be more than 26, it's probably going to be you know, 50-plus guys who play on the big league roster at some point over the course of the year. When they take all the, the collective productivity from all those guys, the Brewers feel very comfortable about what the team is going to look like and how it's going to produce this year. It's, again, I'm going to use the word fascinating. It's going to be fascinating to watch because it's so different from what I think conventional baseball folks kind of expect to see, especially when it comes to roles and the idea of positionless baseball. You know, that's something that's very common right now in basketball, positionless basketball. Uh, the, the Guys play all over the place. You know, you can, you can take a Giannis and put him in it. You can take a LeBron and put him just about anywhere on the floor, and he's going to be able to do a good job. Well, positionless baseball with the shifting and everything that's going on and the different wanting guys who can play all kinds of different positions and everything. Um, 
that's kind of the big story going into uh, going into this season this year. All right, as I mentioned, feature conversation with Brad Ford. We're going to kind of continue on uh, with this line of thought that I had. And, uh, yeah, we'll do that right now. It's time for uh, our featured conversation on this week's Brewers Extra Innings podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for our social media conversation. We welcome on to the podcast. He uh, writes for uh, Brew Crew Ball. You hear him sometimes uh, on the Milwaukee Tailgate podcast, and you hear him all the time on this podcast because I love having him on. Maybe at some point we should record our conversations we're having before and after the podcast and release those, although that might not be good for other reasons. But anyways, we welcome Brad onto the program. Hi, Brad. Hey, Matt. How are you? It's been so long. We had so much catching up to do. We certainly did. Uh, baseball being played. We are talking on Sunday night. They finally, after a rain out, a weather out on uh, Saturday, they got the uh, they got the game in on Sunday. the uh, The team loses to the Padres, but baseball being played. Zach Davies pitching against the Brewers. That was kind of weird, uh, but yeah, it's it's good. I mean, finally we're at a point where we can actually. It's not just about pitchers and catchers reporting and guys throwing and guys being interviewed in the clubhouse. There's actually baseball things happening. Yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. It's no longer like completely speculative. Uh, it, we actually get to focus our attention on some of the battles that are happening in camp. I would say there's not many battles per se, but there's definitely some interesting storylines, like who's going to end up in the rotation, who's going to end up in the bullpen. And it's nice to finally have those things start playing out uh, and start to see some of the players who we haven't seen before, like uh, Lynn Bloom pitched today, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, early spring is always a bad time to watch pitchers as far as interest goes because they're generally working a lot of kinks out of stuff. But it was just nice. It was nice to see. Yeah, well, we're not going to break down what happened in the game because I don't think you can really learn much of anything from these early spring training games. It is about just getting guys out there and uh, getting getting ready to go. That being said, you made the comment about you know how many battles there would be. And look. Look, I know that guys are going to earn playing time towards the beginning of the season based off some things they do in spring training, but let's see if you agree with me on this or not. We're going to see some platoon situations. We're going to see platoon at third. We're going to see some sort of interesting situation at first base. I guess we don't know for sure what catcher is going to look like. Uh, The outfield, as good as it's going to be with the depth that's out there, it's going to be a fluid situation. And with all due respect to the spring performances – I feel like this is going to be a situation where if anybody kind of takes control of the job, it's going to be completely based upon their ability to go out and perform well after the regular season gets started. That almost No matter what happens, almost all these positions are going to start in some sort of platoon fashion, and if it moves away from that, it'll move away from that because of performances, again, in the regular season. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would think it's a very the all those platoon situations are very similar to last year's uh, platoon between Aguilar and Eric Thames at first base. Um, you know, Jesus goes out and he is expected to get a share of the amount her time. Uh, eventually, he isn't able to perform and his it starts decreasing and they start doing strict platoon with it. And then Eric Thames eventually outplays Aguilar so straight up that he gets all the playing time there almost uh, until Aguilar's eventual trade off the team. 
Um, I think it would be very similar to that type of situation. They acquire Brock Holt this week. They they go out and sign him. He seems like I've said this about a lot of guys. Like it feel I feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over and over about just finding guys who are good fits for the team. But you know, especially specifically when we talk about you know an, an Eric Sogard or a Jed Jerko, the question is, yeah, they're a good fit for the team, but are they a good fit for the role they're in? It seems like maybe Holt is the guy who's a good fit for the team and a good fit for the role he's going to be put in because of his ability to go play pretty much any position out there right I think the thing with Brock Holt is you needed a guy to kind of take over that position um with that Hernan Perez and Tyler Saladino had last year and I don't think with the roles as they were currently assigned you know with an Eric Sogard who can play that role expect to have a very big role in third base with Jed Jerko um there really wasn't anyone established who could do that um i said on twitter i was actually thought brock holt is the type of player that david stearns loves he's diverse or versatile his defense is okay he bats from the left side uh, so he's a guy who can give you quality at bats later in the game but the brewers often don't do things that look like they're just obvious and they ended up signing him so that was very satisfying because i always thought he was a good fit for this organization like you said um he can be a starter when you need him to he did that for the red sox where you know if you need 10 games from him out of a position he can do that but otherwise he's just a nice guy to plop in the lineup i think the thing with what we're looking at this season and we talked about um extensively on the milwaukee tailgate podcast is with the three batter minimum that pitchers are facing uh having hitting versatility on your bench is going to be incredibly important because if a righty comes in you can stack a bunch of lefties in there and be able to attack them with the opposing team stuck with the what they've picked to do yeah uh so brock holt gives you another weapon in terms of that and i think with his defensive versatility it makes it so you can take almost anyone out of the lineup except for like a christian yelich or a keston hira or even a hira you know he's a rookie he might have struggles from time to time so when he's struggling you can take him out of the lineup in the seventh eighth inning have a better defender have a left-handed bat and try to compound your opportunities against opposing bullpen pitchers and eventually end up leaving with a a you know, a lead or a couple of runs made up or your lead extended um, overall positive situation. He's an all around good hitter. He's an all around good player. So he's a Swiss army knife that you can just drop in when those opportunities occur. Unlike the other platoon players who might only be good at a couple positions, um, you know, Justin smoke smoke can really only play first, maybe right field. If it's very limited, very, very, very limited, and you hopefully have nothing coming his way. Um, but he's not a guy you really want playing out of position. So if he's one of the guys on your bench because Ryan Braun's playing first base that day, you really don't want to use him as that you know, pinch hitter outside from in the position spot. Brock Holt's a guy where you don't have to worry about it. The only guy you won't have him pinch hitting for is Manny Pena, really. Um, so I, th- I think he makes this roster and group of players that much more interesting because of that uh, versatility it gives Craig Council. And I've said on Twitter that now with that being so important to the game, with the how the rules are currently in there, that Brock Holt could, and the other 
uh, platoons that they're working with actually give Craig Council an opportunity to manage his way through the season with his offense like he has with his bullpen throughout the other years. Um, and it makes it a very dangerous asset for a strategy-wise manager like Craig Council. Yeah, you said a lot there, and I want, I want to touch on a couple things. First off, I think something that I, I haven't seen a lot of people mention, and maybe I'm just completely off on this, a week ago, I thought there was a, a pretty solid chance that this team was going to carry three catchers and, and bring on David Freitas as a, as a guy who would make the roster, that that's how they were going to use the 26th man uh, as an extra. And then when I think that when they signed Brock Holt, I didn't feel that way anymore. I think that, that eliminates any possibility of it being a, a three-catcher situation. To me, that – I. Maybe they had already decided that. Maybe I was crazy in the first place to think that three catchers was a was a distinct possibility. But the moment they signed Holt, it certainly seems like they're not going to go that direction. Instead, they're going to try to accentuate all the things you just talked about in ways that they can be more strategically sound, for lack of a better term, from the seventh inning on probably. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think that we've seen that Craig Council isn't as worried as traditional managers are about the way he uses his catchers. He's always shown no hesitation to really pinch hit a catcher for a catcher if he believes it's going to give him an advantage. And knowing that, yes, that injury risk is there, uh, but you don't have to prepare for it like with a third catcher. You can prepare for it for other ways. And I think, you know, Brock Holt is the type of guy who can probably play a catcher in a pinch. Uh, I think Eric Sogard was working as an emergency catcher when he was with the Brewers. So I think they're less concerned about that than other teams generally are um, getting into that emergency situation where what if other players can't have to man that position? Yeah, and they, um, I'm going to cut you off for a second. They, they yeah. They should be. They they should do that because how often does that second catcher get hurt and all of a sudden you got to go to an like it never happens and I, I think the Brewers are really good at like a lot of times like run differential. I I had a philosophy on why their run differential was so bad. I always thought the run di- and they had an okay record. I always thought the run differential was bad because on those days where they just weren't going to win, or there was a one in ten chance that they were going to win. They, from a resource allocation standpoint, they they stopped allocating top resources, specifically you know bullpen arms, to a game that they probably weren't going to win. You know, yeah, could they come back and win? And that's always the argument I hear from people. I oh, can't give up on games because you can always come back and win, but you don't want to lose tomorrow's game today when tomorrow you've got a fifty-fifty chance of winning, and today you've got a two percent chance of winning. So I think the Brewers are really good at kind of looking and analyzing situations and knowing how to allocate resources and as much as we can sit here and all get worried oh my gosh you're bringing in your uh, your backup catcher in the sixth inning how often does the backup catcher actually get injured or you have to go into an emergency situation it like never happens so if it happens to happen and maybe you even lose a game because of it like who cares because you made the right decision and you're going to make that decision over and over and over and you're going to win more games because of it than you would ever lose yeah it's really well said in my opinion um and i don't really think there's much to go on because you're right it's mitigated risk it's can a catcher get injured a catcher can get injured at any time of any day 
injuries are a possibility in the game constantly but it an injury puts you in a bad situation with your roster when it happens regardless if it's your main catcher your backup catcher um and you've exhausted that resource and then you don't have a true catcher to go out there and play it's going to hurt your roster in the moment no matter what so why worry about something that is unlikely to happen it's like going out and being worried about getting hit by lightning right um you can still go out in a thunderstorm. Yes, it increases your risk of getting hit by lightning, but it's almost 100% or like 98% unlikely for it to happen. Higher than that, but I can't. I didn't want to get into like the statistics at 99%. Um, so, yeah, it's it's like preparing for things that are just so obscure. Um, and I don't think the Brewers want to get lost in something that is a chance but is an unlikely chance in something like having an entry tier second catcher so rather they'd have tools that they can actualize and use strategically to put themselves in a better position to win more games than not and that's having a resource like brock holt yeah you mentioned Keston here, uh, you know, defensive replacements late in games. I I assume he's going to be better defensively this year. I just he 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 really struggled at times as the season went along. That was the one area where he struggled, and it was a very common occurrence for him to come out from a defensive standpoint. Are do you care? Are you at all interested in what he looks like defensively and how that does impact the possibility of being forced to take his bat out of the lineup late in games and close games? I've watched a lot of Keston here, and he. In my time watching him, I had limited time in second base because he was um, restricted from playing the field for so long. But in my time watching him, he was never that bad a defender. Uh, I think we just got kind of a bad surge from him. Maybe some nerves because it was his first year uh, in the pros or in the majors. Um, Oh, a minor league guy making the mistake of saying pros versus majors. How about that? Yeah, look at that. I at least corrected myself <laughs> immediately, but I mean, yeah, I'll, I, sh- I deserve to get roasted over it. That was one uh, of my pet peeves when I was working in minor league baseball. When you know, when guys be like, "Oh, so are they going to play professionally?" Yeah, they're getting. They may not get paid much. That's a different topic for a different time. But they are getting paid for doing this. Yep. Yep. They're pros the second they sign. Um, but yes. So it might have been the pressure of him being in the majors. I just think we happen to see a bad spurt from him, and I think it's something he can work through. I think he has the tools to be a better defender, and he'll he won't ever be a plus defender. That's something we all knew. I just don't think he's going to be as much of a detriment as he was last year. I think it's very unlikely we see that type of Keston Hero again, and I think that's fine. Uh, you know, his offense plays above the the risk that you have playing him at second base uh he's not the liability that ryan braun was i mean he was really bad last year but i think he can make the throws that he wasn't making i think he's shown that time and time again in the minors so i'm i'm not all that worried about it i'm sure it's something the team has worked through to try to get his mechanics back to where they need to be for him to make that um i think the stuff with the glove where he's making picks that are a little difficult or trying to rush himself are more Keston Hira and actual his defense and the issues with it than those bad throws were. 
And I think those will get settled over time as he learns the position. Will he have bad streaks where he might need to get replaced defensively? Maybe. But I know people are saying, like, well, Kustin Hero might play through the seventh and then get replaced a lot. And I don't think that's a realistic possibility, honestly. Um, also, if you look at what the Brewers did this offseason, it seems from the outside looking in like they stopped caring about defense anyway. So I think we as a fan base should be less concerned about it. That is another interesting thing about this because you're right. I mean, it just it does not seem like they valued. I think yeah, it's this is going to be a fascinating season for so many reasons, and that kind of leads me to the next question. When we get to this point of the year, because a lot of, a lot of people feel like it was an underwhelming off season, and, and there seems to be more of a a negative feeling towards the Brewers than a positive one. Uh, not anybody in the division outside of Cincinnati did much of anything, and Cincinnati's starting point was kind of a rough place, so we don't really know how much better they they're going to be. But as as baseball stuff has actually started happening in Arizona, have you found yourself personally have you have you changed at all? Have you, are you are you more up on this team, or are you starting to say, you know what, this, this stuff might work, these gambles might pay off, or is it the opposite where you're starting to look at this team and go, man, this just isn't going to work this year? I think it's. I don't know. I think the more I come to respect what they're trying to do with platoons and the situation that they're in, given the, like I said, I think the new rules um, and with pitcher limitations is a huge factor into why they built their roster the way they did. I think, and now having the expanded roster gives you more opportunities and flexibility to make moves that can be more impactful in terms of pinch hitting than they were before, because you can carry more assets. So, I I don't I think it's actually become more fascinating to me than it was initially. I was disappointed with it uh, when you're looking at it uh, in terms of a total addition standpoint. I really like adding Narvaez. I really like adding uh, Urias. I think that they're fun additions, but. When you just look at how they structured every roster to be a single seat or every uh, signing, every contract on the roster to be uh, a year in an option. Yeah. It shows like, hey, we are gambling on this. And if it works, we're going to keep these guys around because, yeah, it worked. And if this strategy that we're putting into place is not something that can be successful, we're just going to bail on it and try it with something new next year. Yeah. Because they obviously have something that says what they're doing is a strategy that's going to put them ahead of their competition. So that's, hmm. I think what I'm trying to put my hands around and why I'm starting to go towards the side of, man, this might just work is going back to what I said earlier about, you know, good fit for the team, but maybe not a good fit for the role. It, positionless baseball and guys with very fluid roles. It seems like the team is saying, we're going to collect a bunch of guys, we're going to put them in a pot, and we're going to project out what these guys can do. And it doesn't matter if you got a guy who's going to hit 10 home runs in a year being a guy who's going to play 90 games over at third base. 
that doesn't matter that he's your third baseman. So all this conventional baseball thought that you know you got to get so many home runs out of third base and first base in the corner outfield, and you got to get guys who can hit for average in the middle infield. You know, the offense doesn't matter behind the play. Like all that conventional stuff that has existed in baseball forever and ever. The Brewers have, or we we know that they've already kind of gone away from that. But now it just to me it seems like they literally have not cared about what position or what role these guys are going to play they have literally just grabbed guys seen how they fit kind of in a just this in a funnel and projected everything out and they're saying this is going to work and it's hard for everybody out there to say yeah it's going to work because we're used to seeing the power hitting third baseman and that's not what they have and it's just it's it's fascinating to me because it's so different and it's so hard to look at baseball and not focus in on roles and positions. But again, it just seems like the Brewers have taken what is going to be their 26 guys, thrown it into a pot, and they're expecting to get certain results out of it. And I, I don't know what that's going to look like. Well, and it's interesting, too, when you look at who they have playing third base. Third base is one of the positions that sees the most uh, aggressive movement in the field when you're a team that ends up doing a lot of, uh, you know, uh, God, what's the word? Why can't I think of it? I keep wanting to say flexing, but that's incorrect. Shifting. Yes. God, thank you. You bet. Uh, So when you're looking at a team like the Brewers, who are one of the highest shifting baseball teams in the league uh you know often you end up playing your third baseman at second base you end up maybe leaving them on an island by their shortstop um they can be one of the team who play positions that end up going through the most uh aggressive shifts in where they're covering compared to the other players on the field now you have two guys who have extensive spirit experience at third base and second base um, and gives them like a lot more comfort, I feel like, than take, teaching Travis Shaw and Mike Musakis how to play second base and make them more comfortable flowing around the, her, the infield. You have two guys who can do that effortlessly because with the shift, there really is no position. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like positionless baseball is kind of the truth because when you shift, it, as they do it, there is no position. No, you're right. So, yeah, so what does it matter if you're getting the amount of production out of your infield that you should be because Keston here is hitting like a third baseman, but he's playing second base, but he's not actually ever covering the second base spot that often because they're shifting so aggressively and they have Eric Sogard playing over in the second base area um, if for lefties and then going back over to third base where he can make the throw that Keston Hira can't make uh, and he's hitting as well as a second baseman. What does it matter where the offense is coming from? I realize that's kind of like broken-tiered thinking to some level, but I think it's how they think. Yeah, that's the test this year. I think, too, they might – with the players that they have, I don't think the Brewers are the sole reason a lot of the rule changes that have come into play over the last couple seasons have come into play. I think they're happening – uh, more widely than we know as Brewers fans, but we see it a lot from the Brewers because the Brewers are one of the teams who use it the most aggressively, and we watch them. It was like how we didn't really appreciate that uh, Yasmani Gun, uh, 
Yasmani Grandal is one of the best catchers in baseball. Then last year, they were like, oh, he's the best catcher in baseball. Let's keep him around forever. He was always one of the best catchers in baseball. We just noticed it, Len, because he was right in front of our face. Right, and the and we watched a seven-game in LCS around, yeah. where he may have had his worst performance ever. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I actually feel comfortable saying he had his worst performance ever. Right. Uh, so you're looking at a situation where, like, you are watching baseball in a funnel. You're only or in a vacuum where you're only seeing what happens for your team. And it feels like when baseball makes these rules that affect your strategy, they're targeting your team. I think the Brewers are a part of the reason why that changed, but they definitely weren't the only ones using that rule um, or using that strategy that ended up changing that rule. Can I tell you I one? They I... might shift so much with the current utility that they have in their infield that we'll see shifting rules that Manfred has talked about for some while implement them pretty quickly. Yeah, it's going to, the shifting rules are going to happen. The shifting rules are going to happen. I, I promise you that. Want to hear one of my weird baseball nerd pet peeves? Okay, Brad, if um, if you've got a left fielder, a center fielder, and a right fielder, and there's a right-handed batter up, and then a left-handed batter is up, and the left fielder and the right fielder change spots, they officially change positions. So, you know, seven and nine, and then nine and seven, right? Right. Okay. I don't understand why in the outfield, if you're moving around, your position changes. But on the infield, if a third baseman goes and plays between the first baseman and the second baseman, to me, at that moment, he should become the second baseman, the second baseman should become the shortstop, and the shortstop should become the third baseman, but it doesn't. It, that doesn't happen. He remains the third baseman playing over between first and second, and it makes no sense to me why in the outfield, when you move around, your position changes, but on the infield, when you move around, it doesn't. Well, which is also interesting because there was a way they were shifting Anthony Rizzo in Chicago that was qualifying him as a second baseman, which eventually made him second base eligible in uh, fantasy leagues. Uh, So there's a way for some reason when Anthony Rizzo was moving over, he was becoming second baseman. I bet that was because of the the gloves. Because he, he switched gloves, so that was like officially what changed his position. Yeah, you're if only the third a, baseman gets a new glove. Does he become a second baseman then? No, you're only allowed. There's two positions where you're you're only allowed one catcher's mitt on the field, and you're only allowed one first baseman's glove on the field. Right. So if you're wearing a first baseman's glove, you're the first baseman. So if you take that off and somebody else is wearing it, uh, then you're not the first baseman anymore. So I I don't know the exact situation, but the only thing thing that makes sense to me is that he took the first baseman mid off somebody else was wearing it and it was probably the guy who was over at second so he had to become a second baseman that'd be my guess i think guess. that's somewhat accurate and it was like when he was playing bunts if i remember it correctly i don't know i only it's stupid it's stupid but for some reason he is changing positions despite like the <laughs> it doesn't make sense I, it like why is that a position change like why does the glove matter like it, or like shouldn't where you're standing on the field be the thing that matters yes. I get if you want to say like you can only have one first baseman but but if the third baseman has the uh, first baseman's glove and he's still standing at third base does that make him a first baseman I think it does 
Like, how stupid is that? Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> and, and then it, it has made scoring kind of a pain, which is fine because uh, as much of a baseball geek as I am, I found uh, I was like, oh, I'm going to do scoring a couple times because I'm a baseball geek. And then I did it. And I was like, this is boring. See, I score every game. I score every game. Uh, I could get how watching it in the media box, how scoring would be very helpful. Uh, but watching it at home with at bat right in front of me and not having to go back on the air and talk about it immediately after it isn't helpful. And when I do it in the stands, it isn't helpful. Um, especially as I'm like three beers deep. Fair, fair. I do it because of my highlight segment and I use it off my scorebook to uh, do that. And I have different colors. I've very select pins that I use and I use highlighters. It's a, it's a whole thing. Yeah. It, yeah, but also we were talking a little bit about before of uh, data tracking. Yeah. And uh, you know, I showed Matt a list of uh, data I compiled that I use strictly for fantasy baseball, and he said, "Do you hand enter that?" And I said, "Or do you actually like import it from a different field and like have it the data automatically appear in your spreadsheet?" I said, "No, I like to hand write it because then I retain the information better, and I feel like scoring when you're talking about the game later helps you retain the information, the little things that happen that led up to big things later. So when you had to do an hour to two hours of post game." It goes a long way in helping you be able to recall everything that happened. And when you get that random caller who calls in that for some reason thinks that a strike two call in the fourth inning is the reason they lost the game, you can very quickly go figure out what in the world this guy is talking about. Oh, man. I don't envy you most days. (laughs) All right. A couple non-Brewers things before I get you out of here. First off, did you see the Madison Bumgarner story? Oh, my God. That guy has the most insane life. He rides Broncos? So he participates in rodeo under the secret alias Mason Saunders, and there was a there was a rodeo Facebook photo after he had won recently, and some baseball writers randomly saw the photo and went, holy you-know-what, that's Madison Bumgarner. It is... <laughs> How was he ever allowed to do that? Does he I does he what, have it like, written into his contract no that he's contra- allowed to rodeo? Yeah. And if he does, how has that not gotten out? I don't know. Like everything every detail about contracts gets out. Right. And like if he's competing and winning twenty six thousand dollars for his performances in rodeos. How, like would, he wouldn't be able to sneak that past the contract. There's no way he could have just lied to the Giants about this for years. But I also feel like that's not something you can just pick up and go do successfully in the offseason. It's uh, this story it's I love. Astounding. This is a I 30 mean, for 30 waiting same, to happen. This is the same guy who dated a Madison Bumgarner in high school. <laughs> yes, it is. All right. Uh, last... Imagine the confusion in that wedding. Oh, my gosh. Last thing, this is fun. You and I, okay, so people who, um, so Brad and I consistently talk every week about one non baseball thing. We are both, I'm obsessed. I don't know if he's obsessed, but he can say if he is, uh, with the show The Mass Singer. We will not give any spoilers. I know people watch it on Hulu and are sometimes a few weeks behind. Uh, but have you enjoyed season three of The Mass Singer? Yeah, so season three is my first season. You told me at the end of season one to get into it. 
And then during season two, I just like could not get on the schedule correctly. Now Hulu is our primary streaming service. Okay. So like I saw it pop up and I was like, oh yeah, I got to check this out. Matt told, and now I'm watching it like, and I'm trying to like piece together the clues because they each episode when they introduce the mass singer for those of you who don't watch, they give you a little clue package about who's it going to be. So I'll take like it, the clues can be super vague, like um, and stretches like a, a yeah, connection to a like city, and then you find out that they were in a yeah. movie that was set in that city like twenty years ago. Or like, oh, yeah, there's a famous anecdote about me getting caught in that airport. So yeah. that's why that airport was, uh, you know, LAX was in there. It's not quite that stream, But, I mean, I feel like the stars get a lot of say into what their clues are. So they can be kind of stretches that they think end up being very, very relevant and really, like, are things that I'm, like, trying to piece together and figure out and it ends up having no tie in the way i thought it to but it's kind of fun trying to macgyver all the information and piece together who they are um it's been very interesting so far uh my first little taste of it i'm i'm caught up so what i'm four episodes in and uh it's definitely become an interesting watch in the household which was really interesting because when i first started watching it i was watching season one unknowingly and i got a couple guesses or a guess right right away (laughs) and matt's like oh you're really going to enjoy the end because it makes like the season that much more interesting uh and it's antonio brown i was like oh wait i remember antonio brown being the first zinger revealed yeah that was a huge social media story and then i figured out that i was two years or two seasons behind. Um. And of course, the Brewers' connection to this was that Eric Thames was on the uh, Korean version a couple years ago. I miss Eric. Bring him back. Bring him back, Matt. We'll talk about him at some point. It's gonna. I'm. I'm very curious to see how he does there. I hope he does well. I do too. I I like Eric. Yeah. Anybody who doesn't like Eric Thames has some some deeper issues going on. Yeah. I'd believe that. I'll leave it at that. Uh, you know what? There were people. Uh, I'm not trying to put people down. There were people who were very offended by when he hit that walk off home run and he got his jersey destroyed. And oh my God, his nipple was showing. Like there were people who, from that point forward, did not like Eric Thames because his well, teammates ripped off tr- his clothes. At least he didn't try to hide his ugly tattoo that embarrassed his wife. Very true. All right, that's it. We're done. All right. Uh, there is, uh, we're just doing preseason stuff on Brew Crew Ball. Oh, yeah. I should ask you about that, shouldn't I? No, it's cool. That's all. <laughs> just put that in. You're good. <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, um, so the obviously all the stuff at Brew Crew Ball is amazing. Uh, you guys do such a good job. At what point here in spring training do you start to really lock in on what's going on in the minor leagues? Uh, so I'll do bits here and there, but unfortunately when we're looking at minor league camp, we don't really get a lot that's coming out. Uh, I've actually been sitting on, uh, a couple prospect interviews that I've done one with Aaron Ashby, because I thought they would actually play better and get more traction around this time of year. I did one earlier in the year with Drew Rasmussen. I have another one with our bear Sipion. Um, and I think they get into off season development a little bit. And as they start to ramp up, I'll be releasing those. Does Rasmussen uh, but, play for the Brewers this year? Yeah. Okay. I agree. Yeah. I think he at least is a shuttle arm. Um, 
but I think he has major league stuff. He just needs to, as he, and he said this himself, he needs to figure out how to stay strong throughout a season. And he learned a lot about doing that last year. And he's hoping that what he learned can pay big dividends for him this year. I think he's going to become better. I think this year will be a good season for him. And then I think he'll be even better the year after because he'll really have his strategy kind of set in. Because, you know, as we talked about before, you really don't have to prepare for that when you're in college because you play a Wednesday game and then a Friday, Saturday game and then generally wait until Wednesday again. Um with a couple other days mixed in there, but it's not every day baseball. At the very Uh, most, you play five games in a week, and that is a rare week. Yep. Yeah. Uh, So it's it's a new experience for him that he's learning how to do. Um, Obviously, every college player needs to learn how to do that, but he's also coming off a basically two-year break period in baseball because of injury. So I I am very excited about him. I do think he plays for the Brewers this year because I think he's very talented. And I think the organization has kind of sped him through the system for a reason. Um, But I think he plays not necessarily a pivotal role for the team this year. He is Brad Ford. You know, uh, you're too comfortable with a guest when you're like trying to get him off the podcast without even allowing to uh, to plug what he's got going on. But Brad's on here all the time, and that's okay. Brad, thank you for your time. We'll do this again very, very soon. I can't wait. Talk to you soon. Brad Ford joining us here on Brewers Externies, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Here is the schedule for this week. Again, this podcast is releasing late Sunday night, early Monday morning. So uh, some of this might be a little bit outdated by the time you are hearing it. But they'll play a split squad game uh, coming up on or split squad games, plural, Matt. Uh, on Monday, they'll have a game against the Angels and a game against the A's. Uh, then they will play games against the Mariners on Tuesday, Giants on Wednesday, Royals on Thursday, Dodgers on uh, Friday, and they'll match up against the Cubs coming up on Saturday. That's going to be February 29th. As far as the broadcast schedule for this week, here is uh, what you can expect on Monday afternoon. The split squad game against the Angels. That's going to be heard on 94.5 ESPN. Tuesday's game against Seattle. That's going to be on WTMJ. Uh, Wednesday's game against San Francisco will be on WTMJ. Friday's game against the Dodgers on 94.5 ESPN. And Saturday's game against the Cubs will be on WTMJ. All game broadcasts are beginning at 1.55. The broadcast schedule available at WTMJ.com. My thanks to uh, Brad Ford for joining us. My thanks to you for being tuned in. And we will talk again next week for another edition. It's Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.